Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, your host, chief executive fish nerd, licensed fishing guide, and everyone's friend. Uh, hey, cool show tonight. Um, we're going to have the the pond lady here today. Pond lady met with the crappie hippie. They did like a you know million hour long interview. We edited it. We put it out here for you. You're going to love the pond lady. Before that, uh, I've been getting scam phone calls from this guy named Smith. He's trying to book a fishing trip. And I was able to get him on tape and kind of waste his time a little bit, which of course wastes my time, which then in turn wastes your time. So you're going to be able to hear that call. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But first, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. We're on our summer podcasting schedule. It means I put a show out whenever I get to it. In fact, this morning, I'm sitting in my car outside of Starbucks recording just so I can get this intro recorded. I've been sitting on this audio for weeks and haven't had time to, to release it. So I'm in my car recording for you because I want you to hear this this stuff. Uh, in June, July, we're doing the F and Book Club, bringing it back. And we're reading the book, The Bassing of New Hampshire by Jack Noon. Uh, now, if, if you're not in New Hampshire, but you're interested in native fishes and how fish are moved around the country, this book is a great history of of why fish are moved around, why we have bass in the northern states when they're not native to most northern states. Uh, and it's going to be a great, fascinating read. Doc Martin's going to join us. Jeff Daniels, Dinner F and Librarian, will join us. And we'll hopefully have some conversation about introducing fish. And is it good? Is it bad? Why do we move them around? So it should be great. So that's coming up uh, for our June, July F and Book Club. So get on that. Get reading it. It's, uh, it's super great. I also, um, a few months ago, I had a contest. Like, it was a call-in contest for your your your, your least favorite fish saying like you know that's why they call it fishing and i only had four entries and so i haven't ended that contest yet because i want to get like 10 entries before before we release it so if you've got a, a fishy you know a fishy statement or a fishy line that bothers you call a fish nerds hotline 607-378-FISH and, uh, and leave it for us if you run a business you can plug your business during that time uh and these will be randomized and i'm going to play them all on the show when i get 10 at least 10 and give away a fish nerd's hat. I'm going to give you some glass water lead-free lures from uh, the crappie hippie. I'm going to give you some fish nerd's decals. I'm going to send you some other crap I've got in my basement, maybe some books or something. Uh, so just call us in up and and ask uh, and leave us that message, and you'll be good to go. All right. So today's show. Today's show is really fun. Uh, the so so I've been. I'm going to want to back up. I'm going to tell you all about a guy named Smith. So a few weeks ago, I got a text. From a guy named Smith. He says, hello, my name is Smith. I would like for to book a fishing trip. That's how he writes. Uh, and I said, great, Smith. What do you want to do? He goes, well, I have two kids. And I want for to book them a fishing lessons uh, every Tuesday and Thursday for the entire month of June. And I said, great, that sounds lovely. And I told him how much it cost. Like, I made up some number, like $3,000. By the way, I already knew this was a scam. It's a very common scam. Uh, and, I, and, and then, so we, we texted back and forth. And he goes, but I need you to be, do me a favor first. And uh, this is like, okay, I know. This is like the classic. They call it the Nigerian print scam. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, great. What's the, what's the favor? And he says, uh, 
I, I, I need my driver to drive my kids to the fishing spot, but my driver doesn't take credit cards. So I'm going to pay you for more money, like $1,000 more than you're asking for, and you cash that, you that use a credit card, cash that out, and then pay my driver cash through an account I'll give you, and then, and then I keep the rest plus tip. So it's a classic way to get someone to use stolen credit cards. Um, so I'm enjoying this, and I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Tell me more about this. And I keep kind of prodding and prodding and prodding, and I waste his time texting for days and days and days. Finally, he says, I'm going to call you and work this out on the phone with you. And he, and he calls me, but I won't take his calls. I keep texting him back. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And he's like, why don't you want to do this? And then I keep texting him, you know, photos of fish we're catching and we're going back and forth for days and days. Uh, he even catches my friend Vinny, who runs the winter business with me. He's the other fish nerd guide in the wintertime and does the same kind of scam on him. I even give Vinny a credit card number over text, which is really interesting. Uh, so anyway, I got Smith on the phone finally. And I like to think I sucked up some of his time. Uh, and so I'm going to just play that whole call for you. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. The audio is really hard to hear Smith on this. He's claiming to be on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, um, uh, working the electronics or something. Uh, so it, it's challenging to hear him, but I think you'll enjoy it just the same. And then at, right after that's over, uh, it's gonna get, that's going to run right into our interview with um, with the pond lady by the crappie hippie. And we really appreciate uh everyone coming on and we'll have links up to the pond lady at fishnerds.com and that's the show enjoy on recent smith i'll just hold it up like this hello please state your name after the tone and google voice will try to connect you it's clay it's ringing Making funky sounds. Smith, are you there? Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Smith, it's Clay. Yeah, how are you doing? How are you doing? Can you speak louder? Good, Smithers, I'm doing good. What? I'm good, I'm good. Good, where are you right now? I'm, I'm on the sea right now, I'm on the sea. On the sea? What part of the sea? Yeah, it's feeding. It's in California. Yeah, but like on the Atlantic Ocean or what Pacific Ocean? Where are you? Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean. What part? You say what? What What part of the ocean are you on? I mean, I'm in the middle of an ocean. I'm, I I I think I'm going to send you everything via you're in the middle of the ocean. That's remarkable. And uh, so, can you explain again? Like, I don't understand your favor exactly. You said what? You asked me to do you a favor. I, can you explain that to me again? Yeah, the favor I said is, I'm going to give you a credit card. You're going to give me a credit card? I'm going to give you a credit card. So okay. To book a fishing trip. When the money comes into your account, you're going to owe the downstream. So you're going to overpay me and I'm going to take some money and pay a driver? Yes. Okay, why don't you pay your driver and have him pay me? 
Yes, sir, Watson. Why doesn't why don't you pay your driver and have him pay me? I can hear you speak louder. Yeah, why don't you have your driver who's your driver? He's a private driver, he's a checker driver. I, I can send you his number, you talk to him. Oh that'd be Yeah, so so how much money are you sending me? You said what? How much money are you going to send me? I'm, I'm paying you for $14,000. Uh-huh. And how much money am I giving your driver? $2,750. Okay. And, and how do I do that? I'm going to send you my credit card. You're going to check my credit card. You're going to give me your credit card number. You want to give me your credit card? Wait, and, and how many kids am I taking fishing? You said what? How many kids do you have? Three kids. Three kids. How old? 20, 23, 19 years. Those are grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, grown-ups. Grown-ups. And they need a New Hampshire fishing license. Do they have a New Hampshire fishing license? Yes. And where in New Hampshire do they live? You said what? Where do they live? No, where do your kids live? I just, I just, I just go to I don't know what you said. I just, I just in the city. I'm gonna send you Yeah, so I just, I'm just asking you, just curious. I want to make sure you're legitimate, so I need to know, like, like, what town do they live in? I don't need their address. What town do your kids live in? Do they, do they live in New Hampshire? Yes. Yeah, and do you live in New Hampshire? Yes. What, what part of New Hampshire do you live in? I just bought the house. You just bought the house? I'm going to Yes, I just bought it out. Oh, so I'm going to send you the Omadley. Yeah, what town? You said what? What town in New Hampshire did you buy a house in? Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, what town? I can't understand you. What town in New Hampshire did you buy a house? Uh, because I'm curious. I, I like to know who I'm doing business with, so I'm just asking questions. So let me ask this. What, what kind of fish do your kids like to catch? What kind of fish do your kids like to catch? I have no idea what you just said. Yes. Yes what? I don't really know more about fishing, you know. No, I'm just. Yeah, I'm. Well, I know obviously. So I, I'm curious though, because have your kids ever been fishing before? I like to know who I'm taking fishing. I'm just curious. Yes. Let me know. Let me know if you want to post You know, I'm. I'm a walk like this. No, I do. I definitely want to take your kids fishing. How about you give me their credit card number? I'm gonna send you my credit card numbers. Oh no, you gotta do. I, I only do it on the phone. I can't take a text. I don't want to have that kind of printout on my phone. You said what? You have to give it to me, credit card number now. Yeah, I can text it to you. I'm going to check my diary, so I'm going to text it to you. No, you can't text it to me because I don't want to have it on my phone. You're not on your phone. I, don't, I won't take it on my phone. I'm going to take it right now. I can punch it right into my credit card machine right here in front of me, and, and we can have it all done.
Just give me a number right now. Okay, you want me to give me the face number right now? So we're going to push it. Yeah, give me the number. Yeah. We're going to do it right now. It's going to be awesome. Well, what kind of connection do you find with? I don't know what you said. What kind of credit card machine do I use? That doesn't make any difference. You just have to give me a number. I don't know what it's called. It's, I, I, it, I don't know. What, I, how am I supposed to know that? I just, I punch it into my. It's on the computer. I can't hear you. What? I'm going to charge you. How much do you want to pay me? What did we? What did we agree on? Huh? How much did we agree on? You said three thousand dollars, right? That's right, three thousand dollars. Yep. So, so I'm, I'm gonna pay you fifteen dollars, fifteen hundred for down payment. Okay, pay me fifteen hundred for a down payment, and then um, and and then and then what? Then you you charge the driver's fee your fifteen hundred dollars. All right, let me, uh, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. I need the credit card number right now. Um, and I'm going to charge, I'm going to charge the whole thing at once. You said once? I mean, I want to charge the whole thing at one time. I need the whole payment in full in advance. Don't text me. Don't text me the credit card number. I, I can only do it on the phone. I can't take it as a text. Just give me the numbers right now. Okay. Right, you gotta speak really clear. He hung up. <laughs> I'm gonna call him back. I think he's figuring out that I'm screwing around with him. Hello. Please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. It's Clay. Smithers! Hello? Smithers! Hello? Hello, is this Smith? Yes. Yes, it's Clay. How come you hung up on me? You said what? I want, I want your credit card number. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to check the guys. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take everything right now. You can't text it to me. you got to give it to me on the phone. I can't have... I can't, I can't call it to you on the phone. I'm working. I don't have to text yeah, but I, I can't take I have to take it on the phone right now or we can't do this. Why? Because I got other people who want to book trips who actually want to give me real money who aren't who aren't stealing from people, you big jerk. <laughs> like you're totally a ripoff guy and I'm not gonna put up with it. So you can screw and you can take your credit card machine and all your fake phone calls and your fake calls. <laughs> I'm gonna call them back. Hello, please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. 
Hey Smithers, are you still on that boat? Are you on the boat? I'm going to keep calling you because you're a jerk and you need to be called a whole bunch of times because you're ripping people off, asshole. Ha ha! Now get off the boat. I'm calling you back. <laughs> Hello. Please state your name after the tone and Google Voice will try to connect you. going to ignore me now. Okay, so here's, here's the fish nerd's mission. Uh, if you dial star six seven on your cell phone, your call um, won't have a caller ID number attached to it. And what I want you to do is I want you to try and call Smithers. Uh, 213-375-4214. Don't call him from your own cell. If you have to open a, like a fake Google Voice account, like he did do that, hassle this guy. Um, thanks for playing, you guys. That was fun. <laughs> so fun. Hello everybody, this is Proppy Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. And I'm telling you what, I've got a really fine guest on tonight. You know how on the Facebook page sometimes we get into pond management, talking about ponds and stuff? And of course, I like to uh, get in on those discussions because I have a pond of my own and make a, a, a at least a stab at managing it. And um, I come across this really cool person on Instagram and she manages ponds and her geek out on fish and the study of fish and the biology of fish rivals that of our own beloved Doc Martin. So, welcome to the show, Amy Robeson of Robeson Wildlife Solutions, uh, a.k.a. the Pond Lady. Hello, Amy. Thank you for having me on. Hello. All right. This is so exciting to me. I don't know where to start. i tell you what. Let's just start it off. You know, uh, Oklahomans, do you have that mean joke about Kansans? Uh, you know why it's so windy in Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know this joke well. Do you? But 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 you should go ahead and tell it. I get to have the punchline. Yes. Texas blows and Kansas sucks. <laughs> and I, I had an assistant chef from Oklahoma that, that loved that. I love that joke. Okay, so this all began down in Roaring River, Missouri. Uh, as a young lady, you went to, uh, well, tell me the story of your epiphany and how you became a wildlife uh, person. Well, you know, I, I attribute it a lot of my path to growing up where there's water within a stone's throw almost literally of anywhere you are oklahoma has more shoreline than any state in the nation which most people don't realize um because we're we have over 300,000 ponds in addition to the lakes and rivers and so growing up wow. i i went fishing with my dad my dad uh, took me fishing and I literally got hooked on fish. We would go 
take vacations to lakes or rivers to camp when I was growing up. And one of the places we stopped was at the Roaring River uh, Hatchery. We camped there at the campground and and seeing the trout hatchery there, getting to feed the trout and watching them respond to that feed. I don't know what it did. It, it just kind of set me into uh, a, a tailspin where I was fascinated and, and I really had to know more. And and I began my interest in fisheries when I was, I, I would say I was probably about 12, 13 years old at that point. So you went to Southeastern Oklahoma State University and you come out as uh, so, uh, zoology with emphasis in, in fisheries. Is that right? Well, at Southeastern, I did uh, at that time they had biology as a degree plan. So I had an emphasis in fisheries conservation minor. So that was my bachelor's degree. Then I went to OSU to get my master's and uh, by a strange turn of events ended up uh, doing study with larval fishes and some inverts on basically multiple stressors. Uh, Yes, yes. Do you mind if I read that out? Uh, Go ahead. Our our own, our own Doc Martin loves this sort of stuff. She is a a uh, scientist at Emporia State University up here in Kansas, and she's a regular contributor to the show. Awesome. So the, well, yeah. Yeah. So it was a, um, uh, here we go. You work for the Environmental wa- Environmental Water Quality and Research Laboratory and studied ecotoxicology, specifically <laughs> the effects of multiple stressors, that is, anthropogenic chemicals, and studied uh, oh, and predation stressors on mortality of larval fish and daphnids. That's daphnids. And uh, <laughs> yes, we have a ton of listeners that know exactly what I'm talking about. There. Great. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun. And we have fun with it too, getting, getting our education. Okay. So you get out and you work uh, for a while uh, with the Oklahoma Fisheries Department. And then in 2017, you decided to go entrepreneurial. So what, what happened there? Well, um, I worked for six years as a technician and there's a lot of competition for biologist positions. And with a master's degree, I, you know, I felt like I wanted to try my hand at something a little bit different that we saw a need for all the time. Um, As a technician, invariably you take phone calls. At some point in time, somebody says, answer the phone. And you get calls almost every time you answer that phone about people that needed help with their ponds. And it's, it's just not something that the ODWC has the manpower to help everyone. Because like I said, there's over 300,000 ponds and more being built every day. So I, I, I got to the point where it started breaking my heart having to tell landowners like, this is what you should do, but we don't have anybody that can come help you do it. So um, my husband's also a biologist. He's my business partner. He had already started providing nuisance wildlife removal services back in 2014. And we just started ballparking this idea of let's just do this. Let's do land management, pond management, for private landowners. Um, now t- this is our second year of being completely on our own. Um, I started February, very first of 2017 as the pond lady. 
Um, yeah. Now we have our own shock boat and we consider ourselves to be a pretty full service management solutions team because we can do the sampling that we need to do, the stocking, any kind of restoration. Two years, we've really grown. In fact, I was just telling a friend that, you know, last about this time last year, we'd probably get one to two calls a month. And now we're getting one to two calls or more a day. So the word wow. has definitely gotten out that we're around um, because there's not a lot of people that do this in Oklahoma. And we're one of the few people on the private side that aren't associated with a university that has okay. a shock boat for hire. Okay. So, so I'm so glad because I, I, you know, answer a lot of questions there. So it's going good. You're, you're picking up business right and left. Um, yes. So I'm just going to, you know, what's the, what's the future of the company? Do we see Robeson vans going here and there? Or are you going to just stay small and, and. Well, our, I mean, it's not really about the area so much as the team that I envision. I really think that within the next five years, we'll have at least another shock boat. We plan to hire a, a whole other team of biologists um, and, and have a team of at least five to 10 people working for us or with us. And I, I don't like to say for us because I, I, I want it to be our fellow biologists that we know um, and hopefully have about 10 of us working together. I don't know if you know this, but when I was growing up, we were told there was going to be all these jobs and fisheries available. And now on the other side, we're all competing for the same jobs and the money going towards those jobs is less and less. Yes. So we know Tragic. Too many biologists that have degrees that are working, doing jobs that are completely unrelated just because they can't find a job in their field. And so we're, we're really big into entrepreneurs on, on fish nerds. We've had several of uh, people that have gone on the uh, shark tank program and wow. uh, we're always, uh, so I, we always got to ask and um, just real proud uh, to find people that can make fish or fishing into a job. Well, and we, I never really thought I'd be on this side of it. That's for sure. Especially having been on the state side for six years, I, I never really anticipated becoming the pond lady. That's for sure. So, all right. So now pitch to me, here we go. Why should anybody want a pond? Well, because you've got a tiny aquatic ecosystem in your backyard. They are much more dynamic and fascinating than I think most people that aren't around them all the time may realize. And it's way more than just fish. And uh, I think it's important for kids to be out there having a pond to, I know this is a part of my story itself is pond hopping in farm ponds when I was yes. growing up, yep. chasing critters and, and learning about where they did their business. Yeah. It, it, you don't see that firsthand if you're not around it all the time because it happens over a yearly cycle so and true if you're not there on the ground you might miss something really cool like hatching of the turtles or when different inverts come on or the frogs and the tadpoles so i think it's it's just a it's a, a dynamic piece of nature that is uh 
a, a something that will continue to provide if you take care of it. And I feel like they're also going to be important pockets of refuge for native species in states across right. the nation. That's that's the best reason right there, I think, is, is for me anyway. The refuge. Yeah. If you yeah. feel like you're building one to help out and to, and to make a, you know, make a, even a small environment, uh, Absolutely. small ones, turn it, you know, contribute to a larger one. Um, okay. Yeah, All right. I'm sold. I'm sold. I want a pond. And, and in fact, I'm <laughs> so we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I got to get to a geeked out question. What is the most inexplicable species you have come across? Because you've come across these ponds with 20 species and you're like oh let's get the creek nearby floods it and you come across a pond where you know this or that has gone on what was your mystery what's your when you you pull that shock up or you pull that net up you went what the heck um i think sometimes finding those what the heck species are what clues uh, clue us into events that may have happened like a flooding event uh the i think one of the most at first, inexplicable ones was the presence of Red River pupfish, red shiners, and ghost shrimp in a 70-acre impoundment that was very close to the Red River. And upon further inspection, found out that thing had flooded multiple times. So I'd never seen Red River pupfish except for in sample jars. So to see them schooled in such massive schools that we didn't know at first what they were, we, we thought they were, you know, some kind of a shiner, or some kind of a minnow, and they were Red River pupfish. All um, right, so and, Red yeah. River pupfish. And then one of the most recent ones that I had never seen was a warmouth mixed with a green sunfish yes i saw that one you put that on instagram right right and that, that was spectacular was, it was and that one was super easy to determine how i got there once we shocked the thing it was like well there were only two species of sunfish in the whole thing yeah that's how you get that hybrid so um we've also seen gar um we found a 15 pound buffalo smallmouth oh, yeah. buffalo um, then, uh, I guess, a, a, a hybrid striped bass that was in, uh, a private lake, but that was a 130 acres. So that was quite a bit. That's, that's a, that's a quite a big reservoir for around here. Yeah. But, but did they, they, they stock it or was everybody like, I don't know how stocked. the hell. No. Yeah. yeah. That one was stocked. The, the others were just natural from the drainage. All right. We're on. Let's uh, let's. All right. So I want to move on to, to pond more pond stuff. And here's, here's, let's start with something here when we talk about stocking and why the heck you find this or that in a pond. Um, big controversy between fishers and biologists. If we get told that eggs, fish eggs can't stick to a bird's feet and go to another pond and live. And then the fish gets spread to that pond by that means. Is that right? I, at this point, I don't discount anything because there are some events that, you know, we sort of take for granted, you know, it's, uh, if you were to look at a map of a drainage system, of course, you could have arrows pointing up and down and say, yes, we know fish move this way up and down. But we also know fish move across drainages that they, especially sunfish are notorious for flopping around in pastures and ending up in your pond. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I mean, I could go to the literature and probably find 
more about this to argue either way. But personally, I would say crazier things have happened. I mean, you get these stock tanks, these little ponds are clear out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. The guy says, where's he never put a fish in them? And yet they'll have something in them. Oh, you know, absolutely. Green sunfish or something. And you just, I was just. Oh, green sunfish are notorious for ending up in everything. And the, yeah. my two hardest questions to an- answer as a fisheries manager is where did my fish go? And <laughs> how did these fish get here? Get here. All so, right. uh, yeah. Well, it's true. Um, okay. So, um, I know ponds go through kind of a life cycle and have a, have a different, you know, dynamic as, as they go along. And, and, uh, I want to talk to you first of all about, um, kind of knee jerk reactions. Like for example, you know, Oh, if you want to have a good pond, you got to have catch and release all the time. What, 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 you know, no, where, are you th- yeah. where are you at with that? No, I, I'm, I'm, I like to talk. I'm not to surprised. The, <laughs> I, I, like to try to explain it to people uh, like a a pie. I mean, you only have a hundred percent of the pie that's available. So if you are not removing some of the biomass of fish from the pond, then you are going to end up to where that biomass is going to go into something else. You know, a lot of times in older ponds where fish are starting to stunt probably from things like lack of harvest or simple eutrophication where the fishing declines naturally as ponds age. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Oklahoma ponds, but they, a lot of them don't have aeration. So when we get called and they're going through this, you know, uh, my fish are all dinky. I've got all this algae in my pond, you know, what's going on here. And, and when you explain to people that, okay, well, you know, you've, you've got too many fish, you're going to have to remove some and invariably, and, and absolutely the majority of our fishermen are bass fishermen, but bass fishermen aren't usually going to fry them either. So they don't tend to harvest many. So when you ask, okay, well, how, how many pounds or, and what size of fish are you removing every year? Like- the best thing I ever did for my pond was took 10 pounds of fathead minnows in there one fall. And by spring, I mean, crappie were hitting buzz baits. The bass were feeding just constantly. I mean, there'd be a morning bite. There'd be a yeah. mid-afternoon bite, an evening bite, night bite. And these were the bass you like to see, not where the head is bigger in the body, but where the body is right. bigger in the head. Yeah. And, uh, but they were just because, you know, what people tell me is that a fi- uh, any kind of animal's got to watch how much it moves around. If, if it, if it doesn't have a good chance to get a meal, it's not going to move right. or a big enough meal, you know, it's not. Well, going- and, and fathead minnows, you know, they, they stay smaller, they, they're squishier. They're a good, easy, they, you know, the, the bluegill will school, especially whenever you've got smaller ones, but those fatheads, it doesn't matter whether they're big or small. They always stay in those tight schools and they, I don't know how it is up there, but we don't get them to establish in ponds. They, it's, we call them like popcorn shrimp that we like to stock them after the bass have spawned, when they're depleted, when it may take more energy to get a bluegill. So it, it might be a good boost to have those easier to catch squishy fat heads that they get a, a better return on. There's not as much bony tissue to digest per fat head as there is per bluegill. I would, I would say that 
it's a it's a lower expenditure food item for them wow now i see i didn't even know that as that makes all kinds of sense but I, I i just was shocked at the difference for about five years it really and i think the main thing was that um we had a lot of cover loss in the pond and i don't you know because what i've heard and i don't know the science name for it but i've heard fatheads as long as the temperature range is between like 55 or 60 and like 75 or 80 they'll just spawn constantly they will and as a lot of it does have to do with the right type of cover they i know that when we when i worked at the hatchery we would actually float uh either pvc pipe or we would float uh like two by fours something for them to lay eggs up underneath is that and, what they like to lay eggs up underneath? Because yes, yes, I knew they would be out around the dock all that we had a floating. But you got to feed them too because uh, they'll they will eat their own eggs if they don't have enough food resource themselves. When we get into cover, we we talked on another episode of Fish Nerds about natural cover versus man-made cover and how we're getting the plastic trees and so forth now that that you know promise that they don't degrade and all this. Um, now. When you go to put cedar trees in, do you have to wait till all the green stuff falls off, or is it okay just to put them in? Well, uh, our experience here in Oklahoma is that it, it doesn't really matter. We prefer to put them in whenever they're still bushy. Um, yeah, because it hurts a lot less. <laughs> it, it does. It does. And I'm super allergic. It, if a landowner has land, of course, we're going to get the twofer of cutting trees and sinking them. Now, uh, we do a little bit with the snagless, the spider blocks. I, I, the literature I've seen hasn't shown that they're more effective than cedar trees. And now I, I had someone question whether the cedar oil was a problem. And I mean, we do the exact same thing the guys for our state department do so that's oh, the same does. type yeah exactly so i mean we, we for our lakes our state lakes it's, we find a place that's on one of our wildlife management areas that needs to be thinned of cedar trees cut some cedar trees and sink them for habitat um, in fact that's kind of a joke we had is you know if a landowner would ask how many do i need to put in my pond and we always say, well, you go and cut as many as you think you need, and then you go back and you cut 10 times more. So okay. uh, uh, it's, it's really one of the most, if not the most limiting factor at Oklahoma Ponds is cover. Well, okay. Let me, that's going to lead me, and, and I'm going to start jumping around here, but um, sure. into, into some problem solving because our pond used to have these most fantabulous overhanging willows. And we used to have tons of the overhanging willows. And then all of a sudden, it took quite a while, but the, 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 the beaver population went up because they built a reservoir about 20 right. miles away. And mm -hmm. beavers have slowly marched up the stream, so now they're here to stay. And away went all the, all the willow trees. And then we had to have the dam repacked and all that. So what is the humane because uh, you know my, my neighbors shoot them and i i'm not i don't really care i i can't do it i won't do it but uh you know outside of rocking the dam with a bunch of concrete blocks or something i really don't know what to do to to get get well, more it's funny back but have cover 
Well, it's funny that you are actually mentioning this because I would have to say that it's one of the absolute worst parts of our job is beaver control. Um, but because we do consider ourselves full management, protecting the dam is part of pond management. So we do get a lot of calls about nuisance beavers um, in Oklahoma the reintroduction efforts that were made have been so successful that they are now becoming nuisances, not just on private lands. They're showing up at people's neighborhood ponds where you can't shoot them. Um, and the literature has shown that if you try to or successfully trap an, a, a beaver and introduce it to an area where it's not native or it's not its territory, that you essentially are uh, going to have a beaver that's going to be fighting for its life and and in most cases probably die a slow death from being injured getting sick from infection so it's it's horrible for us because we have a small farm we rescue animals we have over 30 animals oh my goodness so we don't we a lot of the nuisance wildlife control that we do is live trapping and relocation so if it's like a skunk, possum, raccoon, things like that, we have acreage so we can trap those animals and we can legally release them on our own property. But with beavers, uh, the other problem is that if we release it on our own property, since we don't have a pond, we just have a creek, uh -oh. he's going to choose to leave, then he's potentially going to get shot by one of our neighbors because the uh, Okies definitely have, especially where we are, we're, even though clo we're close to the urban area, we do have acreage, we're kind of rural. So we're in this sort of no man's land where right. everybody has farm animals, but we have <laughs> Oklahoma City trash services. So everybody yeah. has guns because there's a lot of coyotes and there's a lot of kind of weird people and activity around here. So, um, we at one point had seen some old beaver damage on our creek and asked if anybody had seen beavers in a long time. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we, we shoot them. So we get called a lot when it's a neighborhood and they can't. Um, most people don't have a problem shooting them when it's causing damage that could cost them tens well, thousands of dollars. Because I know that's what it cost exactly. us. And, and, exactly. Uh, and it's, it's a cry and shame. terrible. It just, it breaks my heart. Like I said, it's the absolute worst thing that we do. It's well, it's the, the worst waste. Part it's just the job. waste of it, I guess. Well, we don't, we, I don't know if you can see behind me, but we, uh, we do a lot of educational programs and outreach. Um, so if we have to. No, I was looking behind you. See if an animal. Uh, we do prepare their pelts. We do, uh, we have friends that make uh, art with bones. We process the bones ourselves and have a ma major skull collection. We give them away to people. We set up at events and show kids what the animal looks like. Because a lo lot of Oklahomans now have never even seen a beaver in real life until it becomes a problem. So we try to use an animal in other ways if we, if we have to trap and remove it like that. It's, it's not the best solution, but uh, their populations are so big now that I don't know what it's like there. Uh, they, they, you may may have better luck doing relocations there than here. Oh, I don't the, know. The population I, I, I know so that dense. 
Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. I um, no problem. No, I'm just because like you got to pay trappers now to come get them. You know, they're well, not they're not yeah. asking to. Hey, can I trap your beavers out? No, you know, they're wanting to be paid to come get them, and you know, people are just like you know, my my neighbor's just like I leave that ten gauge in the shed, just use it when you know. Yeah, well, like, we have uh, there are there are two trappers for the entire state of Oklahoma that are employed through the ag department that service the entire state. So, uh, you know, they, they have no way to keep up with the damage that's occurring even in the Oklahoma city metro area oh, yeah. where, you know, of course people are going to choose their ornamental trees over the beaver in their pond. Yes. So, yeah. Right. They are. All so, right. Let's, let's go on to another one. This sure. is another one that's tough for me. Turtles. I get in arguments with fishers all the time about turtles. And I'm just like, I know they have a high concentration of fish in there waste and, and stomach contents when they're analyzed but isn't that a lot of that uh crippled fish and fish that are uh on the on their way out anyway uh smaller fish and so on anyway I, yeah what's uh, the story okay well there's there's obviously a balance where if you have a really small pond you can have entirely too many turtles but when we see them becoming a problem is more when a pond level gets really low and fish are of course constricted to a smaller pool right. and they oh, can't yeah. leave. But of yeah. course the turtles can sort of then corral them better. My personal opinion is that if you don't have a problem with them, leave them be. Cause I do consider them a cleanup crew. They definitely will take an easy meal of something that's dead or almost dead over having to chase down a healthy large fish any day um, i would also say that they would tend to target more slow moving fish so things that you might not want like carp i know are a little bit easier target that's than something like a largemouth bass that can simply outswim most turtles even right right even and, when and a turtle's was... in its in its heyday yeah. so you know we do have people ask if we can remove some turtles and sometimes we will. Uh, we try to encourage people just to be okay with them. Uh, because a lot of times people will, will be concerned about the snapping turtles are going to bite my kids, you know? And right, right. So of course, we try to educate people. Well, yeah, if your child is messing with the snapping turtle, then I don't know what to tell you that turtle is probably going to bite. But if you're leaving the turtle alone and uh, letting it do, do its thing, it's probably not going to mess with you. Let's see. Let's go on with um, fish-eating birds, especially cormorants. I've noticed cormorants can really do a number on a pond. Yeah. Um, I don't like them. Uh, now, we they're heavily protected. So there's not much that anyone can do about them. You know, unless you have a, a special depredation permit in Oklahoma, you can't shoot them or anything. So um, I think, you know, there are just some places where they end up, they seem to like more. And uh, I know that there's one pond that we have specifically where they were showing up in high numbers for a while. And inexplicably that pond was almost completely bare when we sampled it with the shock boat. Um, and the landowners swear it's cormorants. We do know that they're close enough to the river that there's, there are otters in that area. 
Oh. So I personally feel like it has much more to do with the otters and less to do with the cormorants. But, you know, we, when I worked at the hatchery there at Durant, that's the hatchery where they produce all the Florida bass for the state of Oklahoma. So, of course, those guys, we, we, we had special depredation permits. But that was also a 500-acre total facility. The, the property is, you know, 500 acres total. And, you know, not all of that is ponds, but those birds would come through on their migration because they had been coming through that place for right. a, a long time. So I think, I, I don't know how I feel personally about their ability to strip a pond. I need to go to the research and actually see what studies have been done to test that well you want to hear my research <laughs> did you have this issue oh yeah i i have you know because i live near hillsdale reservoir so they i used to have two or three of them sitting out on the dock mm -hmm. and i never saw them before till all these willows went away and i finally figured out the pond was just this is what got me on cover restoration like a madman because i figured out this pond is nothing but a big muddy bowl and yep. they can get under there and just chase that fish round and round and round until they wear it out and as soon as I started putting in cover where those fish had something to dash into, dash under, hide out, next thing you know, no more cormorants. Yeah. So uh, yeah. they, they, if they can't chase them a long way over a straight line, they have a tougher time. Well, and I, you know, people, I don't, I know I, I tend to maybe come off a little childish here, but I always tell people, they, they, they talk to each other. They tell each other, hey, there's easy pickings over at this pond. Let's go check it out. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they're smart enough, especially I'm sure. if, if you've been close enough to them, you can tell they're, they're pretty intelligent. So I, I imagine that that has to be a, a large percentage of the issue with this pond is that over time, the cover has degraded to where there's no places left for these fish to hide. Yeah. So that and the combination of otters that personally we would find they loved catfish, but at the hatchery they would kill. I mean, they would kill and leave fish and you would know it was an otter attack, but they wouldn't even eat it. They would kill and just leave it. Part personally are one of my uh, worst enemies. Uh, just, <laughs> I've seen the degradation to some of our systems. In fact, I was assisting with uh, a black bullhead study out at Lake Carl Etling. And as a part of that, we were doing some intense sampling. They were trying to start a tiger muskie program there. Uh, historically, it had a population of northern pike. But over time, it's filled in, and due to the reduction of depth, then um, uh, there's not as much cold water, obviously, but they've also got now just an overabundance of carp. And that, in addition to uh, an overabundance of black bullheads, has caused so much turbidity that it's raised temperatures even more. Right. And it also reduced the ability of those tiger muskies to feed to the point to where they just basically starved to death, which was absolutely terrible. We had stocking events that occurred multiple years in a row, and it just, they oh. weren't able to take. And it, it was heartbreaking, but it's also one of those things that if you use the historical precedent, then you might try something and not realize that you there is a, a drastic degradation to your pond because of sedimentation. And 
And on a smaller scale with those smaller ponds and carp, it's even worse. So we've seen some areas that, you know, we're, we're being told, oh, they were historically so clear. This is a spring fed pond and now we have carp and now it's muddy all the time. And so uh, I don't like them. I, I, I would say if you're going to well, something, use it somehow. So if yeah. we, we recommend that if somebody is going to kill a carp, that they bury it in their garden for fertilizer. Right, just do something with it. Well, I'm not just saying, I, I just, I guess it's more the attitude. Um, well, yeah. That, uh, you know, I tell people the fishing game doesn't need you, you know, private. No, uh, no. They, we don't need, no. you know, we got laws and we, we, they'll, they'll take care of whatever. Right. And this is kind of what I'm going on about birds and, you know, especially when people get skunked and don't catch any fish, they want to blame the birds. They want yeah. to blame the muskrat or the turtle. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, will let's say, get, yeah. I am not a good fisherman. That's kind of like the pond lady's dirty secret. <laughs> I am a terrible angler. I I just, I don't know why. Catch you with a chalk boat. I, that's, <laughs> I, I, I think that's what happened is I've been using electricity long yeah. enough that I, I have no patience. My husband's he's he's the one that can actually catch us dinner if we if we had to go hook in line because we you know we we don't have that boat. We can't shock in public waters. Oh, I, so, you know uh, we we ask we get asked that all the time. Oh, I guess it's easy to get dinner with that thing. Oh yeah, yeah right. that would be great. But, uh, but uh, yeah, well I'm gonna have to send him some baits. I'll send some for each of you. But I guess oh, we'll yeah, have that'd to. Be awesome. Yeah, because that's what I do. I make lead-free lures. That's my uh, my my passion. My I gear. would love that. Dog glass water angling. Okay, now I've got two of the toughest. We're gonna have to kind of wind this up. I got three more okay. questions. Okay. Uh, hydrilla. How do you get it under control? Get rid of it. Oh, that's uh, more people than I want to talk about have killed off their whole pond trying to throw. You know, they they put that stuff on it. It dies. Sucks up all the oxygen. Next thing you know, the whole weed removal's backfired. The fish well, are dead. Everything. I have to tell you, we, we luckily knock on wood, we have not had to, we have not had to deal with hydrilla yet. Our main wow. battle is, uh, uh, milfoil. Those are, oh. that's the big one. But, um, generally we have a multi-tiered approach to dealing with vegetation issues because what we try to explain to, to people that, you know, don't have the, the background like we do of knowledge about e ecology is that, you know, the, the systemic vegetation problems that cause a complete loss of your, your depth, you know, your, your access, they're generally indicators of eutrophication you have too many nutrients in your pond and so usually we will use chemicals to get on top of it which we do not like to use chemicals and we only really use them as a way to get something in check but overall to maintain a system we introduce air uh not a fountain and, and I it, noticed that uh yeah. an under all right so uh, you get a bottom bubble pond, up whatever area. you want to call it Right. Um, uh, what's the cost of what? Give me some costs on that. What's that cost to run a year? It and really depends on uh, how big your pond is. All right, two acres. Okay, so for a two-acre pond, uh, you're looking at probably between I would say twenty-five hundred to thirty-five hundred in the initial startup for your system itself. Okay. Um, now they have solar-powered systems, they have windmill systems, and then they have electrical systems that you need a 
uh, an electrical line for. So depending on which one of those you go with, now the, the windmill systems and the electrical systems are about the same price, but of course with the windmill, you don't have to pay for the running costs long term. You just have more parts that could possibly break. Um, the electrical systems are fairly inexpensive to run and for a two acre pond, I mean, you're looking at basically a small air compressor. I would say that for the long-term health of your pond, um, if you've got a way to get air in there, it'll save you a lot of costs and treatments down the line. So that's how we try to pitch it to people is that, you know, you can get into a cycle of dependence on chemicals where basically you kill it and it comes back. Also over time, right. what you run the risk of is adding so much vegetation, like you said, that you sap out your oxygen and you cause a fish kill because you have an oxygen crash. Uh, we, we do, we have some other management techniques too, like using probiotics, which is something that I wasn't aware of when I worked for the state or like barley extract, barley, hay, instead of using traditional copper sulfate algicides. Okay. So, uh, we also try wow, to, that's interesting. Yeah. We, we, we have learned a lot, I think, um, at a quicker pace now that we're on our own because, our main focus is conservation. So we do not encourage long-term use of chemicals. And well, a lot of people have been dependent on chemicals for so long that when you tell them that you could get their pond healthier, improve water quality and get better growth on your fish with less chemicals, they're like their ears perk up. So we like that. Uh, I like it too. I, I like, you know, you know, putting the air in and, and I've heard of using the different, you know, like the chafe and the stuff for, you know, uh, biotics and things like that, uh, in a pond environment. But I'm, I'm really, uh, our pond is old. I mean, it's 1975. Right. Well, and have you, has it ever had air in it? No, no. Well, and uh, honestly, that's something that I, I don't think most ponds in Oklahoma, um, you were talking over 300,000, right? It, most of them don't. And a lot of them are getting, some of them we look at are over 100 years old. So that's a wow. lot of layers of accumulation of organic matter over time. And, you know, usually when you try to explain this to some people, if you say, yeah, you know, that black sludge on the bottom that smells like rotten eggs. Yeah, <laughs> that's the stuff we got to get rid of. So, right everybody smelled that smell everybody's we all know that pond. smell yeah <laughs> sometimes been you know face down in it don't, uh, don't yeah. worry we got a lot of listeners now that are nodding their heads going oh yeah, yeah. I, I get i i definitely have been made fun of because i kind of i kind of like that those weird pond smells i i can tell a lot about a pond and how it how oh, it is by, right. by how they smell so that's awesome. That is so awesome. That is, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's terrific. No, really. And it's those things. It's just your environmental awareness. And, uh, why should we be, uh, at all, you know, alarmed by things we figure out by smell. I don't know why people get so, <laughs> I know. you yeah. know, don't talk about smell. It's like, I I, okay. <laughs> I, what is environmental issue that you're the most passionate about? What's bothering you the most about just species loss because of climate change and habitat destruction? That's really the biggest one. Just overall uh, 
planet wide extinction event is probably something I cry about at least once a week. There are some oh. shows I can't even watch because I'm just I I cry all the time about it's it's always about the animals. Oh really. my gosh! Well, that's that is so awesome. I mean, not that you cry a lot. I mean, well, I, I know I understand because it's so overwhelming. It um, is. Uh, you younger folks, it's just uh, it it is overwhelming when you realize. So well, it's frustrating as a biologist too because my husband and I both realized and as I mean, I don't want to sound nihilistic necessarily, but there was a time when I really thought, okay, you know, it's, it's, we can do something it's on us. And we're already at the point now where we realize we have to get the next generation involved, invested. We have to create stewards out of these young people because now it's on them already. Like, I mean, not that, people in, in our age and what we're doing don't have the ability to affect change. I'm, that's not what I mean, but you know what I mean? I guess like it's, it almost seems like something that the kids that are still in school uh, need to be working on now before they're Absolutely. even out of school. And it's, it seems we always, I think, think hope you'll get more done. You know, when I was a kid, really righteous about conservation and this, you know, I always thought we'd get more done. And now, you know, um, it's hard per- perception is, Oh, you, you know, you people hit fifties and, and you just quit. And, uh, that's one reason I decided, you know, to try for my last career, uh, in, uh, at least in, in this world is, uh, to do something positive. So I took on the lead free fishing problem. Um, you're into habitat restoration. You're into helping people make their little corner of the universe something special. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think if everybody, gets together um i think we can help help us both not have to cry so much (laughs) over 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 this this tidal wave of shit that you know we read about every day Uh, what is your biggest challenge as a person being in uh in the uh, fisheries field what is your your biggest peeve or goal or problem or thing you don't (laughs) understand or do understand but no one understands you or what is it well, I I think um, being a woman in this field has been really hard. It's also been really eye-opening because there is still a lot of stigma about fisheries work, at least in Oklahoma. I can't speak to other states necessarily. But well, I, I know uh, Doc's ride hasn't been uh, just uh, satin smooth. No, so. it, it can be challenging because... I know personally, I felt like there was this set standard of expectations with a job title, and it didn't seem like everybody was as willing to adapt to a different skill set that I may have brought to the table that wasn't necessarily my physical strength. But as a technician, since I was, you know, and this is this is more geared towards my experience with the department. But, you know, I'm not a big person. I'm small. I'm not super strong. I will kill myself trying to work hard. And at some point you have to sit back and think, you know, it's it's not worth killing myself physically to prove that I'm one of the guys. And I think that was one of the biggest realizations, the biggest challenge that I overcame was I spent so much, so much time trying to be one of the guys 
that when I finally stopped and thought, you know what, there is already something inherently different and special and unique about being a woman doing this and something that I bring to the table, I'm never going to be one of the guys. So I instead chose a path that was more geared towards my strengths. And, and, And definitely while I never saw myself working the human dimension side of fisheries. I I definitely always saw myself out on big water in the middle of nowhere where nobody would see me and nobody would talk to me all day. Um, I, I just naturally have a way of connecting with people that a lot of the guys that were doing the same thing didn't have. Well, a total agreement. Okay. Um, we're going to give you one minute to talk about whatever you want. What's on your mind. Uh, something you just want to say to people in general about you. <laughs> one minute. What's uh, on one the, minute? Okay. This is your soapbox. Okay. Well, I would have to say that one of my biggest missions, especially through the project with the pond lady, is to make science approachable, to encourage people to learn more about ecosystems they might be interested in, and to create stewards out of landowners. I feel like there's this disconnect between scientists and and landowners or anglers or citizen scientists that doesn't necessarily need to be there and breaking down some of those barriers so that landowners don't see me necessarily as uh, just a biologist, but as someone who wants to show them a better way to help them create the piece of land, the productivity, the the goal that they want in a way that's sustainable, that promotes that same knowledge being passed on to the neighbor down the street from the landowner that may not want to call me. Um, by getting more and more single spots across the entire state invested in this means that each one of those has the potential to spread like a web. So Oklahoma is 95% privately owned. That means state and federal agencies only have the capability of managing 5% of the state. And there's legislation that they're trying to pass right now that would essentially make it so that ODWC could no longer acquire any more lands without getting rid of some of their lands. So now that hasn't passed yet, but that means that um, as much as our guys want to do, they can't do much on the rest of that unless the landowners let them. So I, I also want to help bridge that gap between not just landowners and science, but landowners and our other agencies because there are some things that we have seen on these private lands that I bet some people haven't seen possibly ever. Um, not, not specifically fish. I would say that the fish side of the private lands is a little bit more uh, routine. You see the same combinations over and over again. You know, your largemouth bass, your right. sunfish, and your the trinity, yeah. cats. Right. Um, but, you know, we see things like inverts. We see plants. We see things like lichens, moss. I mean, there are so many different aspects of these ecosystems aside from just the fish. And sometimes if you can show a landowner, you know, this is what you've got going on right here that they may not have even noticed, 
then they might show, like I said, their their neighbor. Oh, yeah, this is what you've got in your pond. The pond lady told me that. Well, so even though I call myself an aquatic ecologist, we sort of created this uh, moniker of the pond lady so that it's somebody that's more approachable, even from an initial Google search, you know. When I've had young women that either have been landowners' kids or at one of the events that we go to say, I want to do what you're doing, that to me is one of the greatest rewards as well. Is Big win. That, you know, not just getting to kids, but specifically getting to young women that want to do this is super important to diversify the landscape of genders in especially fishery science is a, a, a big priority. So uh, it's kind of hard to narrow it all down to one minute, but. Well, I didn't have the timer on, <laughs> gosh darn it. So it's not that big okay. a deal. And you're, you've covered a lot of ground. You, you think big and I love that. You're a dreamer. Uh, you want to bring folks together and set a great example. And you do. Uh, you've just been an absolute delight, Amy. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I hope you'll keep listening to the show. Check us out. And uh, we want to thank you for having you on again. Okay, everybody. This is Crappie Hippie saying tight lines and valentines. Peace out. Well, you've done it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for giving us love and support while we go out and do all the crazy things that fish nerds do. And remember, the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never take a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. All right, pond lady. <laughs> Thank you. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.